everybody, and welcome back to the Chiefly Football Podcast. I am the underqualified host, Kenlock, and today I'm going to be reviewing the Week 5 matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Staten is joining me today, and I think you've gone mobile, Staten, because you you said you're on the on the highway right now, headed, headed somewhere. Yeah, but uh, hey... The podcast and our four listeners come first. Yeah, we'll let our four listeners, who are probably all family members as well, uh, let us let them know what you're up to. Uh, I'm on my way to rugby practice. I don't know why I'm telling you. That. I don't know why Kellogg like, is adamant on me telling you this, but uh, yeah, on my way to rugby practice. Uh, hopefully, I won't you know lose any limbs or get any teeth stuck in my forehead. That was a forever strong reference, if any of you guys have seen that. But, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, I bet many people, I mean, well, actually, I don't know how popular that movie actually was, but I'm guessing people here in the States don't actually watch rugby much. So even if they did know anything about rugby, it's probably from, like, the movie or something like that. But, well, you, you said that there was just kind of a cool opportunity out there in rugby. You said, like, you guys are helping – start a, a league out there yeah so there's a there's two kinds of rugby rugby union and rugby league and you know the one that most people watch is rugby union that's the 15s um but the other type of rugby is rugby league and it's not as popular in america and so there's a couple of european teams that are coming over and uh, they're trying to get it kind of kick-started here in america um and so you know they're pretty much paying for teams to come out to tournaments and, um, you know, supplying everyone with like hotel rooms and transportation and jerseys and uh, um, even like cash prizes to, to, whoever, to, you know, the top three finalists in the, in the tournament. So it's pretty exciting. Um, it's definitely a little bit different than what I'm used to, but yeah, it's a good opportunity to kind of, you know, experience different side of rugby and, you know, even kind of put your name up there, out there. I'm not saying I'm going to do any, I'm going to be able to do anything with my name, but, uh, you know, it should be a fun experience nonetheless. Yeah, it's definitely a good backup plan if this Chiefly football thing doesn't work out. Yeah, but it looks like Chiefly football is really taking off, so I don't think I'll really need a backup plan. Yeah, so maybe you can, you can get those uh, those European teams on on the Chiefly football and maybe they could sponsor us as well. We can we can get the word out as well, you know, promote, promote them. Yeah, we might have to change the name. I don't know how they feel about us calling a American football, you know, you know, I don't know how they feel about us using football when it's not soccer. So chiefly American football brought to you <laughs> by <laughs> European rugby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call diversity right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, heck, we could expand our, our listening listenership to, to to Europe. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to get to beat our record of listeners in America. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And um, yeah, much lower chance that we'll be related to them, too. So. All right. Let's just let's get into it then. Um so we can get you out of here at a reasonable time. Um, 
felt like that game was a lot closer than than I had expected it to be. We didn't do a prediction in a preview show, uh, but I, I expected the Chiefs to to beat them pretty handily, uh, just because the Raiders being one and three going to that game and not really showing any um, cohesiveness on offense and um, still seeming to be missing a few pieces on defense. Hadn't seemed to put a, a good game together, um, but and, and then with the Chiefs coming off of a a very good performance against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to have this game go down to the last play is what it felt like. That um, you know a one point Chiefs victory, and it really could have gone either way. And I honestly I think that the Raiders had a lot more opportunities to win the game. Um, and just raider did away. But yeah, I just I, I definitely didn't see this game being as close as it was. Um so I guess what what were your th- overall thoughts on how this game turned out and, and you know compared to your expectations going into it. Yeah, I mean I'm I, you know I'm sure the majority of of Chiefs fans thought that this game was going to be, I mean, I mean, I mean, the Raiders always, you know, bring it, it is a, it is a, uh, a, a division rivalry and probably one of the more intense ones in the NFL. Um, so the Raiders, I mean, there's always a, a level of high intensity, but I, I just didn't think that, like you said, the Raiders had showed any kind of, you know, chemistry on offense. Um, but what really surprised me was just the lack of of um, ability to stop the run on defense, but I'm sure we can get into that like later on in in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I guess just another theme that we'll want to get into just kind of after we review is like who are the Chiefs this season? Like, what's their identity? Because they've just been so up and down. We've seen so much good well we've seen glimpses of good and glimpses of you know disappointment disappointing i don't know um just in each game it feels like um now to varying degrees but this feels like they haven't you know they have one good game and then they play a couple rough games and then they have a good game again and then it's back to another you know I guess I'm just looking for that kind of consistency, but it's um, it'll be interesting to kind of see if we can highlight some of the things that maybe have been consistent or are trending in a certain direction, just to kind of see if we can identify um, what this Chiefs team will look like in another five weeks. Um, do you want to start with the defense side of the ball or offense this time? We usually start with the offense. I don't know if you have a preference. Yeah, I, I'm I'm good with whatever. We can start with defense. All right, let's do it. Um, I think the big, like you'd mentioned, the big thing that surprised me as well was how effective the Raiders were on the ground. Um, Josh Jacobs was fantastic. Um, the team went for 155 yards on 24 carries, and I'm pretty sure that that was all Josh Jacobs. Um so 
excuse me, after only giving up three yards rushing to Leonard Fournette and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go off and and give up 155 yards and a touchdown. I mean, I, I think that just goes in line with what I just mentioned to that. You don't know what you're going to get every week from really any part of this team. Um, what do you think contributed to to that to the run defense being so porous? Was it was it the Chiefs or was it Josh Jacobs playing very well? Uh, I mean, obviously, I feel like uh, well, especially the fact that the Raiders didn't um, take Josh Jacobs and even Jonathan Abrams up on their fo- on their fifth year option. Um, I think there's probably some. A sense of like, um, you know, wanting to prove himself, right? Like, I, I think especially last year, there's some. I heard a lot of Josh Jacobs slander about how he's overrated and 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 things like that. And um, this year, I think he's really just out to prove that, uh, you know, he deserves to he deserves that extension. Um, but also, I, I feel like it was maybe a lack of, I don't want to say a lack of game planning, but you know, you see the f- through the first three weeks of the Raiders season, they really didn't use Josh Jacobs very much. They were kind of focusing more on the pass. Um, you know, obviously they got an exciting new weapon in Devontae Adams. Um, and they have a they have quite a few good weapons in the receiving core and in their tight end group. And so I, I think they were really trying to to sorry what? Nothing. Go ahead. You know, I, I feel like they were the first couple of weeks they were really trying to, you know, maybe force it a little bit too much and into the passing game. And it wasn't until last week against the Broncos that the Raiders actually started running the ball and they actually came out with their first win. And obviously it's a, <coughs> it's the Broncos. So, um, who's, who does have a pretty stout defense. Um, and so I, I think that maybe the, the chiefs didn't think that the Raiders were going to be so balanced. Um, I think that they probably thought that the Raiders were going to come out throwing again. Um, and, you know, thinking that they had the mentality that we need to throw and put up points to keep up with the Chiefs. But, I mean, they they were able to run the ball, and, uh, you know, when you're able to do that, it opens up the pass game as well. And so it, it kind of, you know, if you're not able to stop one side of the ball, then you're going to get beaten on, you know, uh, by both, you know, pass and run. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that was well said. I I think... Well, I guess first off, if you are playing fantasy football right now, I would highly recommend going after Josh Jacobs just because, Dan, like you pointed out, that I think the Raiders have kind of discovered a formula to getting their offense going, and that is using Josh Jacobs and running the ball. Um, Because it was times when the Chiefs started – when the Chiefs were expecting run and were preparing for the run – that's when the the Raiders were able to hit big plays. I mean, that the first big play touchdown to to Devontae Adams was, I think it was was it a fourth and fourth and one? It was either third or one and fourth one. I'm pretty sure it was fourth down. Um so Yeah, it was fourth and one. Yeah, so everybody was up. Um it was left man on you know, one on one coverage, Fenton and Devontae Adams, and I mean I can be as Chiefs homer as I want, but <laughs> in that matchup, Devontae Adams is going to win every time. So 
having that that dynamic on offense to help take some pressure off of Derek Carr and and Devontae Adams, and they didn't even have Darren Waller in this game, which would have helped them even more. Um, yeah, that that definitely makes it harder for the Chiefs' defense to to game plan to stop one specifically. I think it was curious just to see from the defense that they, I guess that that they just continued the pressure that they that they've been showing all season leading up to it, and a lot of the times it's worked for the Chiefs this season. I mean, all the forced fumbles from Snead getting back there, and um, Bolton had a couple sacks in what was the Chargers game. Um, Darius Harris had a, had a sack in the game yesterday, but but you just see the risk that you are taking on when you're sending that pressure because that leaves your defensive backs one-on-one with wide receivers. And especially with the youth that we have back there, um, if that quarterback is good enough to get that ball off and get it in a good spot, then our defensive backs can be in trouble. You saw a lot of pass interference calls um, against Devontae Adams in that game. You saw two big-time touchdown catches by him. And I think that's what it really came down to from the Raiders' offense. I think that it was just the big plays that that hurt the Chiefs. Because even though even that the drive that ended with the Josh Jacobs touchdown run, they got the ball down there because of that big pass interference call. So, you know, I think it was just – I'm curious if that is going to change Spagnolo's philosophy a little bit going against certain teams that are capable of making those big plays. And it'll be really interesting to see this week against the Bills who are even better at making those big plays. Is he going to continue to take those risks and bring pressure? Or is he going to do – you know, take the safer route like – most of the other teams in the NFL do and, you know, play the two deep safeties and keep everything in front of you. Don't give up the big play and let the offense, you know, or make the offense, you know, dink and dunk down the field. Um, Or is he going to kind of try to stick to what he feels like the strength, his strengths as a play caller are and, you know, trying to get pressure, you know, through, through blitzing. So I, I just, interested to see you know kind of the risks or yeah you saw the risks um and how they kind of burned the chiefs doing that defense and how it might impact the defense moving forward so um i don't know if if you have any any thoughts on either what you'd prefer in that situation or um, if you think that that's going to change moving forward um honestly i'm I'm okay with the aggressive play call with the, with the blitzing. Um, I don't know. Um, I I don't know how effective we would have been if we had just, um, I mean, they were, I mean, the thing is, is that they were dominating on both sides of the ball on both like running and passing. So I would rather have our defensive line and maybe sending a few, uh, you know, whether it's Snead or sending a linebacker to, try to get pressure in there rather than leaving it up, you know, trying to stop Devontae Adams or Hunter Renfro with like the, the secondary that we have. 
Um, I think it's probably a little bit too much pressure on them. So I'm, I'm okay with the pressure that we brought. And it, it felt like the, it felt like we were in the backfield a lot. It felt like we were getting a lot of pressures, but we just weren't finishing with sacks. Like Derek Carr, credit to him. Um, he was able to, you know, get a move around the pocket. And, you know, he had a couple um, – he had that little, like, that little uh, shuffle pass that he was able to get out. I mean, he also had one that caught intentional grounding. <laughs> um, but – I mean, yeah, credit to him. He was able to, you know, stay on his feet and not let the, the pressure get to him too badly. But, yeah, when you have a, when you have a young secondary, I think you got to try to put more pressure on the defensive line to get there instead of hoping that your secondary can contain, you know, a weapon like Devontae Adams. So I, I, I wasn't too bad with that. I wasn't too mad with the game plan. I just wish the defensive line could have executed a little bit better. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think that's just the juxtaposition that Spags is in right now is you want your defensive line to be creating the pressure and getting to the quarterback by themselves. But if they're not, do you risk sending the pressure with defensive backs and linebackers and, and risk leaving your defensive backs one-on-one or do you just, I don't know, I guess just encourage your defensive line to do better and win their battles and um, hope that the secondary with, you know, seven or eight people back there can um, can hold down the coverage long enough for the defense, defensive line to, to get to the quarterback. But this week going against Josh Allen, um, I don't want him standing back there all day for sure. Because he's going to find somebody, and if he can't find somebody, he's going to run. So, you know, we'll talk. I guess we'll do a we'll do our preview show in a couple of days. But um, I don't know. I guess now I'm just evaluating everything I see from the Chiefs and comparing it to how it would fare against the Bills, because I feel like they're the the biggest and probably honestly only threat right now in the AFC to to the Chiefs going to an, uh, another Super Bowl. So, all right. And um, before we move on to the offense, sorry, did you want to say something? Um, I mean, I just – I was really happy with the way that Nick Bolton played. Um, I think that he made a lot of great open field tackles against Josh Jacobs, who's a running back that is very hard to bring down. I think um, Harris – played a great game as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that a lot of these players are stepping up and, and I mean, there was, there was a lot of, you know, people that didn't show up the quite the way that we wanted them to, but I feel like there were, there are a few bright spots as well in our defense. And I, I feel like that should be um, acknowledged as well. I think that our linebacker court did, did pretty well. Um, with, you know, the circumstances that they were in. Yeah. And I was honestly, I was about to give a, a shout out to Nick Bolton for Dave, because uh, he wasn't able to join us on the show tonight, but he had just mentioned how impressed he was with Nick Bolton in that game as well. Um, even just seeing the physicality from him, like he was the only player in the second or third level that physically was able to stop Josh Jacobs. I mean, there was one of those hits where he just like stopped a bit in his tracks and 
Um, you know, it's great to, for the Chiefs to be able to have a linebacker like that again, who's physical, aggressive, athletic, and that's something that the Chiefs have been missing at that position since Derek Johnson left. So it's really awesome to have him back there. Just I feel like linebacker in today's game has kind of gotten a little, um, I guess, just like pushed, pushed to the side um, because people are, you know, throwing more and people are more interested in defensive backs or pass rushers and what they can do. But um, I don't know. I feel like I've just seen a difference in this defense just from the way Nick Bolton has has been able to play and how he's been able to lead the defense this year. So yeah, he definitely receives that or deserves that credit, and um, you know him and Legarius Sneed together. I think both of those guys are are really developing into uh, you know potential future superstars. So definitely exciting to see that on the defensive side of the ball, as opposed to you know all the the future weapons or the um, you know the potential that we've we've seen on the offensive side of the ball. It's great to see that on defense. All right, so let's move on to the offensive side of the ball. Um, the Chiefs put up 30 points. Mahomes threw just shy of 300 yards, threw for four touchdowns, and added 28 yards on the ground. 28 yards doesn't seem like much, um, but a couple of them were really were really nice runs. I, one of the ones, I mean, it was that designed option where he, you know, as soon as he re- realized that he was going to run and wasn't going to pitch it, he put his head down and I don't know if I've seen him move that quickly before. Like he just like shot through the line to pick up, uh, you know, eight or nine yards on that. So, I mean, when I saw that, it was just like, I don't know. I didn't know that he had that kind of burst, but it was, it was awesome to see when he just like put his head down and just, you know, just went for it. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, kind of on the other side of that, that 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 pitch play, I think it was to Sky Moore. The potential, like he had the option to to toss it back to Sky Moore. I think that could be a really fun play to see in the future. Um, I mean, obviously, in in this case, it was it was better for for Patty to to take it up. And yeah, like you said, it is weird to because usually when he when he runs, he's either um, he's hesitant because he's still his eyes are down the field, so he's not quite committed to running, or if he does. Um, by the time he starts running, um, it's either like a DB or that he's trying to like not really juke out, but like kind of um, make second guess so he could either get to the sideline or you know get a couple yards on a on a slide or something. But like this one, he was a little bit more on the inside of the field, so he knew that he couldn't, he wasn't going to be able to like trick the defense into coverage or anything. So I think he knew that he just had to like <laughs> just go for it. And I think I think a lot. I mean, a lot of times Josh Allen gets, uh, which which um, you know, rightly so. He he gets a lot of credit for you know his size and his athletic ability and stuff. But Patty, I mean, he I, I feel like he's right up there. We just don't see it as much because um, he's a little bit, you know, he t- he makes those career decisions with sliding and stuff. But I feel like. You know he's he's not a little boy. If he went up against a linebacker and he wanted to, I feel like he could give a linebacker a run for his money on a hit. I mean, I don't know about that. I don't know if he's that. If I'm that linebacker, he could give me a run for my money. I'm still bringing him down. 
I'm going for those ankles. I I don't agree with you, but I don't even want to see who's right because I just don't want him to be in that situation. I mean, you don't Josh want me Allen, to be in the pros. He's, he's built. I mean, he's six six and like two fifty. I mean, he has the weight and the size to be able to make that impact on a linebacker. I just don't think. I don't know. I don't think Mahomes moves fast enough and has enough size on him to. I don't know. I just I don't even see that aggressiveness from him either. I don't even know if he'd be willing to take on a linebacker head to head. But Patrick Mahomes is six two two twenty five. Yeah, I could bring him down. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. nothing. Yeah, have him come out for rugby league. <laughs> yeah, I'll show him how it's done. <laughs> We'll show them what a real concussion looks like. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's something that we haven't seen that much from Mahomes this season. We've seen it in years past where he's, you know, used his legs to pick up big first downs or touchdowns. And, um, you know, this season it's been using his legs to extend plays and, um, you know, do 360s and basketball shots for touchdowns. But, but it was yeah, it was good. I was just good to see that, and I, I was just really surprised and excited to see that kind of burst that he showed when he was really committed and knew where he was going. Um, but those four touchdowns that he threw were awesome as well, especially since they were all in the red zone, um, which is something that the Chiefs have struggled with this season and being able to convert their um, their goal line opportunities into touchdowns. Um, all four of those touchdowns went to Travis Kelsey, and you know that was a career night for for Travis. And I'm pretty sure that was the the Chiefs' all time record for touchdowns in a game. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it was just for tight ends, but um, I'd be surprised if that wasn't the record. Yeah, I think it, I think it was the mo- that was the most receiving touchdowns in a in a Chiefs game. Okay, yeah, so. That's awesome for Travis. Um, also very surprising that he only had 25 yards receiving on the night and still managed to get four touchdowns. I have Travis Kelsey in most of my fantasy leagues. And after in the league that you and I are in, um, the chat was blowing up towards the end of the game and everybody was like, oh, I want Travis Kelsey. I want Travis Kelsey. And I was very tempted to say, you know, oh, you guys can have him. He only had 25 yards receiving for me in this game. So. He's not doing anything, but obviously the touchdowns and receptions <laughs> make up, you know, are far more valuable than than the yards. So, yeah, well, I can I can attest to that considering I was your opponent this week, and you had you had Devontae Adams and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, yeah, that was a rough week for you, buddy. Um, sorry about that, but. I'm just glad you had Gabe Davis on the bench. <laughs> way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but that, I mean, I had to make business decisions, and sometimes business decisions come over family decisions, and um, you know, we'll hopefully, see. Hopefully we'll we, see. Yeah, hopefully we can move past that and just celebrate that the Chiefs won that game, because um, that's what that's what really matters. But I'm undefeated in that league, and and I need that money. All right, so 
what was something that stood out to you, whether it was a player or a group of players, um, or just maybe some of the play calling on the offensive side of the ball in this game that they either surprised you in a good way or bad way, or um, or that you you thought had a big impact on the game? Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to obviously dive right into the second half <laughs> because that's when our <laughs> offense came alive. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with with two aspects here, and I'm sorry if this you know covers kind of what you wanted to talk about, but I feel like our our offensive line stepped up and gave Patrick Mahomes time to look downfield, and I feel like this is and because of that, because Patrick Mahomes had more time to look down the field, um, we were able to break off some bigger plays. Um, MVS came away with almost a hundred yards. McCall Hardman had a like I think it was almost I think it was like a thirty-five yard uh, play. Um, yeah, and Juju got involved. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that happened. We were able to move, really move the ball down the field because those routes that take longer to develop. Uh, you know, Patrick had time to to go through his reads and to let those routes develop and and get them the ball. And uh, yeah, I, I think that the offensive line really stepped up in the second half. In the first half, we were getting dominated by Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Um, I, I do think one of the one of the uh, the weak spots that kind of was was shown this week was just how. I mean, I don't want. I feel like I'm saying that like obviously Orlando Brown is a great athlete with the size that he is, but. Just Chandler Jones' speed, like Orlando Brown could not keep up with it. And um, I feel like that was kind of, um, it, it was really, it was, Chandler Jones really just exposed him to that um, this week, uh, this, this game. So, um, but I mean, the second half, whatever the game planning was, whether it was, you know, tight ends chipping or what it, whatever it may, it may have been, I think that they really improved in the offensive line. Um, was kind of the key to the win, which is actually what Patrick Mahomes said after the game. So, yeah, I was really, really proud of the the turnaround that they had in the second half. Yeah, and that's that's what they needed. And it seemed like that was the problem in the first half that Mahomes just didn't have any time to to get that off. So to or to get some of those throws off, um, which I guess is good in the sense that it's a lot easier to identify that than in, in weeks past when the offense hasn't looked cohesive together um but this game looked like it was the receivers and and Patrick Mahomes were on the same page the entire game it was just the offensive line wasn't giving them the time in the first half and then once they were able to start figuring that out um it gave Mahomes time to find the receivers and you know and they went on five consecutive scoring drives and just that that blitz of scoring was able to help shift the momentum and eventually give them the lead um yeah just kind of like you mentioned i was impressed with with the way mahomes was able to spread the ball around kelsey mvs and juju were each targeted eight times which is a pretty good (laughs) pretty good amount um mvs and kelsey obviously did more with their with their targets um mvs uh led the team in yards kelsey obviously had the four touchdowns felt like juju wasn't as effective with with his receptions, he did have a big one, kind of like a flailing, falling catch that he did close to the sideline. Um, but 
I was, I was happy to see MBS kind of stepping up. It seemed like Mahomes was finding him on some key plays. Um, and that's just something that you want to see. Hardman only had was targeted four times, but had 74 yards, like you mentioned. So being able to to find all those receivers, uh, Watson had a catch early on. Um, I mean, yeah, that was awesome. One thing I was really surprised about was only seeing Isaiah Pacheco for three snaps. <laughs> three snaps, and he got one carry for zero yards. And and that was it, especially coming off of a, 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 pr- a really good showing in Tampa Bay to to come in here and not really be used. I just I, I thought that was surprising. I don't really know what to read into it. We'll see what his usage is moving forward. But I guess I was just surprised to see them not using him, especially towards the end. And maybe that final drive when the Chiefs could have used his blend of speed and power to to run out the clock. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, or if you have additional insight that I'm not aware of as to why he wasn't used very often. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I know that the Chiefs run a lot in packages, and so um, depending on the package that they're running, will you know, uh, you know, will uh, affect whoever's on the field. But yeah, I was I was really surprised as well. I don't know if it's because um, maybe he still doesn't quite have a grasp on the playbook. Um, and so maybe they just weren't, I mean, maybe like the, their, um, their schemes weren't really like in his strength, but even then I feel like there are times where like, if you're going to run the ball, like it, it doesn't like, you don't have to disguise running the ball, like just run it. And I know that we didn't have Trey Smith, which is, you know, our right guard that loves his, his run blocking, he's a powerhouse, and that, and th- those three with uh, Tooney, Humphrey, and um, and Smith, those three really do uh, do a great job with you know pushing that that defensive interior back, and so, um, but but still, I feel like with Pacheco and his like in the first half, I just felt like our offense didn't have that intensity, like it was just kind of like our offensive line was kind of being bullied around by their defensive line. There wasn't really any, like, um, anything that was, like, pushing us to to be better. And I feel like Pacheco has that mentality. Like, whenever he gets the ball, even if he has zero yards, like, you know he's going to run as hard as he absolutely can. And that's the intensity that you like. And, um, I mean, maybe you wanted to talk about this a little bit later or you were going to bring us up at the end. But I feel like that roughing the passer call on Chris Jones was kind of like that flipping point where like it got the Chiefs mad and brought some passion into their game and kind of flipped it around and and you know brought some fire uh you know into their into their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, no we didn't even mention that in the defensive the defensive section but yeah, I definitely think that that was a turning point in that game and and like you mentioned, I mean Pacheco could have been a player who who sparks that urgency and that um, that attitude on offense, but if it ended up being that Chris Jones non call, or I guess it was a bad call, um, then he, I'm glad it, I'm glad it ended up happening that way, is because we got the win. Um, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on it's it's been talked about quite a bit over the last couple of days. It, obviously went viral nationally um, on the heels of the Tom Brady roughing the passer call that 
was awful as well. But um, yeah, I mean, just the fact that the fans were booing for like 10 minutes whenever the refs went to go say anything, it, it definitely changed. Yeah, changed a lot of different things. Changed the momentum. It sparked the Chiefs. Um, probably made the refs a little scared to, or a little hesitant to make calls in the future. Maybe, maybe they felt like they made a bad call and wanted to make it up later. And you no, know, I don't know. That was definitely a big, a big turning point in the game, though. And I, I just saw recently uh, that the NFL rule committee said that they weren't going to make any changes. Did you see what the league said about it today? Um, not today. I mean, I know that they said that they're not gonna they're not gonna change anything. That they're gonna keep enforcing it. Yeah. Well, some spokesman for the league came out and confirmed that it was the right call. What? Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It was like a video memo that he sent. He was like, it's like the league's something of a head of officiating or whatever. So he's not with the, with the refs. He's like the NFL. And yeah, he sent like a video memo out to all of the teams. And he's, he showed different clips of different plays and showed like explained what were like good tackles on a quarterback and what weren't. And he specifically showed the Chris Jones one saying that he landed on him with, without bracing with two hands because apparently you have to brace yourself with two hands if you're going to land on the quarterback. And so obviously there's the blowback from everybody who saw it and saw the context of it. Like Chris Jones couldn't brace with two hands because one hand was holding a football (laughs) and he he tried to brace with the other hand. I don't know. So. Yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, so I think I don't know. I I get it. Like, and yeah, it's annoying. But I mean, the league's been like this for years, as far as like being really protective of quarterbacks. And I think it is ultimately for the better. It's just when dumb stuff like that happens, it. It's like, what are you doing? But I mean, it all stems from that concussion outrage because everybody thought that the NFL was gonna was gonna go down after the CTE studies came out and everything, and that's when the the NFL really started to crack down on a lot of the the dangerous hits and protecting defenseless receivers and getting rid of the wedge and kickoff returns. Um, You know, now you can't do a running head start on kickoffs, just like things like that. But I mean, dad, I think he's always quoting somebody else who talks to him about it or, but I mean, it's (laughs) so I'm just going to attribute it to dad, to dad, but uh, he basically is just like, nobody would watch, the NFL, if all the quarterbacks were hurt, <laughs> like you don't want replacement quarterbacks playing every week because quarterbacks are just getting taken out. I mean, you want to see Mahomes, Josh Allen, 
Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. Like you want to see all these guys playing every week. No, and 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 but that's not even the issue. The issue is, I mean, everyone agrees with that. Everyone knows that quarterbacks need to be protected because they're the most valuable position in the sport. But it's like one, there needs to be consistency because there's been complete inconsistency throughout these calls just this season. And secondly, it's got to be like realistic, you know, like it can't be like I don't know. I just feel like it should be reviewable because each each instance is so different in context. Like it, it just needs to be reviewable. Yeah, because but that's like, the thing. Like how but, you said, it has to be two. Like it has to be because it has to be um two hands or whatever. But I'm sure when they were making that rule, they weren't weren't taking into consideration like oh he might like just rip the ball from the quarterback and like during the sack, you know, like they're probably not thinking about ex- like specific cases like that. Yeah. So they wrote it. But that's, because but that's why, it, but that's why it's so hard. And that's why reviews won't matter because ultimately it's subjective, especially when there is such a variety of different things and different ways that things happen. You can't define it in a rule book. So there's, there's literally no way to be objective. You can't come in with this rubric and say, these are the things that you look for. Like with a catch, you can see what a catch is because they yeah. labeled it. You know, you have, you get three feet, three steps, you make a football move and, you know, yeah. doesn't the ball doesn't move when it hits the ground or whatever. Yeah. But when there's so many different things that go into like tackling a quarterback or pass interference, like when you're taking the context into a given, pl- when the context of the play affects the ruling, you can't apply that ruling evenly every time. So that's why it makes it hard because the ref, when they go to look at it, I mean, the ref, any ref will see it differently just because there's no set black and white rate way to apply it. Well, see, but that's, that's, that's why I think it is. I, I think, cause when I first saw it, I was like, dang, that could be, that could be like, like that that thought crossed my mind, like wow, he landed on the quarterback. I don't know if that's going to change the call on the play or whatever. Or the but if if you're able to review it and go in and look at it in the replay and see, okay, Chris Jones, he was taking the ball with his other hand. He he legitimately could not have have um landed on his second arm because he had the ball. Like it's things like that, not just like I mean, I, I think that you should like refs should be able to have. I mean, and, and I understand it's from it's someone from New York who is the one reviewing it. But in a game where there's so many different scenarios, like having there's that that okay, two hands have to be on the ground. Like it limit it, it puts it such a such a limitation on defensive players that like it take it almost takes the competition out of it. So I feel like I feel like they should be able to review it. So they say, okay, this one he was wrapping up. He had the ball in one hand. He tried to brace with the second hand, and he couldn't do it. But in other cases, like he just didn't. Like he just he only braced with one hand, even though he could have braced with a second hand. Like I feel like there's some differences like that. Like you can give a baseline, but then at the end of the day, like just give the ref like the opportunity to look back because and and. In real time, it looked like he just flattened Brady. 
and I didn't even know he I didn't even know he had the ball. Right, but that's that that ruling is too too subjective, and it leaves too much up for the interpretation of the ref. And that's you can't have rules like that. You can't. You'll get never get consistency with that. Well, we're not because, getting consistency anyway. But you are because I think no, that, you're not. Yes, no, it was because the call on Chris Jones. He lent the rule in the rule book says that you need to that he gets a protection. You have to brace with two hands. If you land on him, he didn't brace with two hands. So either the rule book needs to be changed to say, unless that second hand is holding the ball, then you can make an exception, but it has to be black and white in the rule book because if, because by the rule that's written, that was Pat, that was roughing the passer because he didn't brace with two hands. So yeah, you have to put that in the rule book or else, you know, there's okay. going to be something that comes up and he's going to be like, oh, well, I don't know. This this could have affected that. And maybe he wasn't actually intending to land on it. Okay. Well, tried, I'll, but... I'll, agree with, I'll agree with that point. But to say that they've been consistent is totally is totally wrong. Tua got slung around and his head smacked against the ground. They didn't call pass, They didn't call roughing the passer. Tom Brady got slung around. Head, head didn't even hit the ground. Called roughing the passer. Patrick Mahomes got slung around. Head didn't hit the ground. No roughing the passer. Like they're they're not consistent at all with their calling. Yeah, I don't know. I just so, think roughing the passers in general are and those. Well, I'm, like, I'm, I'm they're just, just, using they're those just subjective. I'm using most, those three as examples because they were very similar plays, obviously to varying degrees. Because Tua's was a lot worse because his head hit the ground, but it still wasn't called. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that Tom Brady's was called because of the two hundred one, but well, I don't know if there was any clear. I mean, the NFL denies that there was any directive to like keep an eye on those similar like swinging the quarterbacks around. So, what do you mean they said like that they're not going to actually call that or no? Like people asked afterwards because of the Tom Brady thing, like. Did they call that because of the two? Because it was a similar tackle to Tua, so that they're just trying to, of uh, like eliminate that kind of tackling on a quarterback. Yeah, and the NFL said no. We didn't say anything to refs about like keeping an eye on like that swinging tackle thing. So, but I mean, I don't know. I, gonna, I don't remember the Mahomes play you're specifically talking about. But do you remember? Do you remember the one where? Um, who was it? It was uh, Crosby. I think it was Chandler Jones, and then Max Crosby kind of like dove over, and people were like, people thought he hit him again, but he like fell short of Mahomes. Do you remember that? He like Max Crosby was right behind the defender, and he like tripped over him. You don't you don't remember seeing that play? I mean, if I no, I don't remember it. Just I feel like I would have okay. noticed it if it was it actually a penalty. Like, should it have been a penalty? Well, if we're going off of swinging the quarterback, then yes. Because that's what he did. He, like, swung him around his body. It wasn't it, – it obviously wasn't as violent as Tua's. But did he do it to get him down, or did he do it once the play had – once the quarterback had already been wrapped up, stopped his momentum, and then he just, like, swung him? Because I feel um, like that's kind of how – Brady's was like he had him wrapped up and then he just kind of swung him for good measure. Yeah, I'm not. Which is what I, the ref I, I had don't... pointed out as well. He's like, it was an unnecessary throw. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure because I'm not sure exactly what Mahomes was doing at that point. But even, um, even uh, was it Herb Street and uh, Costas that were calling them? That were not Costas. Um, Herb Street and Buck. Aikman and Buck all together. Oh, Aikman. Okay. Yeah, it was Aikman because I remember Aikman because the crowd was booing because there's no flag on that, and Aikman's like, yeah. They're probably looking for a flag because it's the same thing that happened to Tom Brady and Brady got the flag. So like, he brought it up too because he thought he saw the similarity as well. I mean, I like to answer your question. I don't know. Um, but Patty, Patty usually is like once he gets wrapped up, he doesn't usually fight it. But no, and there uh, were times, yeah. and there were times in that game, like that they had pointed out that like Max Crosby had him and he didn't even take him down. Yeah, they were showing that well, as, like, a, a good example of. You know, pulling up when you know that the quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it was I think it was Chandler Jones that that did it. But um, I just remember the crowd doing, and they showed the replay of it. And like Troy Aikman had not had acknowledged the similarities between that one and Tom Brady's. But I'll have to go. I mean, you'd have to go back and see. Like if I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure because he had wrapped up, and Patty doesn't just like try to like. <laughs> Patty usually just just like chill once he gets wrapped up. <laughs> But yeah, it'd be interesting to go back and check that out. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, I just the league tried doing this reviewing penalties thing with pass interference, but they had the same issue. It's like, I mean, you know, the general idea of pass interference. It's like if the defender or the receiver impedes the other player's ability to catch the ball, but there's always times where there's hand fighting by both players or. How much does the contact actually impact the player's ability to catch the ball? Was a ball catchable? Like they tried the review for that and it was just, it was inconsistent anyway, even with the review, um, especially with the precedent with going with whatever the call on the field was. And, and I get the idea. I think originally was worst case scenario, all, all pass interference stands unless it's like egregious, like the Rams, you know, that Rams play was that sparked the whole thing. So maybe that's something that they consider where it's like, yeah, you can review roughing the passer calls, but just understand that most of the time it's going to stand unless it's something like egregious that was clearly missed. But I mean, I just, yeah. I don't know. I just think you're opening a can of worms when you're trying to challenge every single penalty because. Well, I, mean, I just, I just part of the like, game is just, just the objective. I mean, the subjective part of the, of the refereeing, yeah, and, yeah, and anything I, that I, I is objective, like marking the spot, like the spot of the ball, like you can't deny where the spot of the ball was, as far as the camera can tell. Like yeah. it is where it was. Well, yeah, and I, I and I get what you're saying. Like, I mean, human error is just part of the game, like how it is in baseball and stuff. Like, you can't review every single pitch and strike and ball and everything. I, I, I guess I guess what I'm just like, yeah, kind of what you said. Like they need to like abridge the rule where like give exceptions of like unless the player is like playing the ball, then like the two hand rule shouldn't like come into play. Yeah. Or like or like, as long as they try to, as long as they try to like um, brace themselves, like if they're making a play on the ball. But it, yeah, they they need to make some kind of like. Rules where, yeah, where it has to be a clear rule, but like, 
because I, I do think the two the two hand rule is smart because in general you're not you know stripping the ball while you're tackling like you're not like ripping it from the quarterback while you're doing it. But well, and I just think that it's it's totally avoidable. I mean, like Derek Thomas with his tomahawk sacks back in the day, like that. I I never really understood why defensive backs don't just go for the ball anyway. Like their focus should be tackling the ball rather than tackling the quarterback when he's in that passing position. Like when you have that clean, that clean shot at the quarterback, you should be grabbing with one hand and using the other hand to swat the ball down because any time you have that opportunity that the quarterback's not paying attention most of the time, he's not really aware of it. And that's yeah. the most vulnerable. So I, which actually, actually that's one of the things that amazes me about Patty He'll get blindsided and he never loses the ball. Yeah. No, he's been great at it's that. It's crazy. Yeah. So I'm but I'm, like I, I I would I'd be curious. I mean, because I think part of the reason like some of these rule changes that they're making, like you see it with targeting in college, is part of it is encouraging players and coaches to, to teach to t- and learn. To teach safer technique. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not just protecting players but it's where i mean it's protecting players but also protecting them through learning new techniques and i'd be curious oh, yeah. to see what the new techniques would come from or i don't know i just think that there there are effective ways to tackle the quarterback without you know bludgeoning them into the ground so well yeah they just well, have to I, I, yeah sorry they just have to find find that balance between letting them play a physical game and you know protect well, I, I feel like I, I feel like I feel like if they should also make a rule though like if you wrap up the quarterback like he's automatically down like even if he, he like there has to be something where it's like because the deep that's basically like, flag football or two man touch <laughs> well but that's what I'm saying like because if you're if you're expecting the defensive lineman to pull up right before he hits the quarterback like it gives a quarterback an advantage to either get get the ball away because like, he could throw it away or something like that, or if they're slowing up and they're just going to wrap, then like it it would be easier like for like a Josh Allen or a bigger quarterback to like break that tackle and to continue playing. Yeah, but there's other ways. I mean, you don't. There's other ways to tackle a quarterback other than landing straight on top of them. No, I, I understand. No, I understand. No, I understand that. But what I'm saying is. If you're asking players, like so, so how would you tackle him? I wouldn't, <laughs> but no, but like, but like, because yeah. because no, the the one the way that you see it the most often is they tackle him like 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 you're taught, like with your shoulder, like you take one shoulder, you'll hit him and you'll land kind of on you like you'll land on the ground and they'll land on the ground. Yeah, but instead of but like a big general, bear hug where you crush them. Yeah, but that that happens more like if it's like a free, if it's like if if you kind of have like a free, like you either beat your buck really bad and so you have like a straight line at the quarterback so you can kind of like be more, um, like choosy with how you hit them. But when it's like, you're like, you're coming at a weird angle or like there's also a blocker coming at you, like you just kind of grab him how you can. Right, but, so, and but like, that, that's what like usually ends up. But that usually ends up with you grabbing them and pulling them down. It doesn't. It, that rarely ever la- ends up with you landing with all your weight on them because you're grabbing well, them from weird angles. So you're well, usually what I'm like saying pulling is, them is, down. 
is you're protecting quarterbacks from getting hit low, getting hit high, getting landed on, getting whipped around. Like there has to be something where like the quarterback, like once you get securely wrapped up, that's it. Like you can't try to break away. You can't throw the ball away. Like it's, that's it. Cause like you're literally, you're literally saying there's only, there's like pretty much one way to tackle quarterback. And that's like, if you guys both fall together. And that's, that's crazy to ask for a lineman to whatever situation you're in, you have to fall together with him. So if you're asking them to pull up or to tackle no, it, one specific way, but, but I don't even think the swing, there should be a rule without the quarterback. I don't even think the swinging thing is, it's, is like, you're not allowed to swing the quarterback to tackle him. I think it's, I, once you have him wrapped up and the play is like you have him secured, it's swinging him around unnecessarily when you could have just held him up, or or but just brought him that's down the differently. Thing. But but that's the thing, like like if you're if you're if you have him wrapped up, there's still a chance that he like he has a free arm or something that he can still throw the ball away. So that's why I'm saying like there needs to be a rule. Right, so, but there's like, but once you have him wrapped up, there's there's multiple ways to bring him down. Once you have control of him like that, then just swinging him around or putting your body weight on him. I mean, you just fall to the ground. I mean, it's once you have them wrapped up like that with the strength that defensive linemen have, I think that they'll be able to bring them down. They don't need to rely on two diff- two moves. Well, I don't. Tom Brady is a pretty big boy. He's like what six five two thirty. Well, Tom Brady's not the best guy to use because he he'll go down as soon as you get him in a hug. He'll he'll go down. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying, like, I mean, even with quarterbacks like freaking Josh Allen or um, you know, Jameis Winston, like bigger quarterbacks like that, like they're not gonna like there needs to be like obviously if you have Kyler Murray wrapped up or Jalen or Jalen Hurts or you know Tua, or you're not you don't need to like worry about them like breaking free or anything. Or like Lamar. I mean maybe Lamar because he's so fast, but like there just needs to be a rule where, like, if he's securely wrapped, that's it. He can't throw the ball away. He can't, um, like, try to break free because then the li- the linemen are pulling up and they don't know if he's going to be able to get the ball away or not. So they have to continue with to get him down however they can. I don't know. I just saw a statistic that roughing the passer calls are fifty percent what they were like frequency, fifty percent what they were last year at the same time. But yeah, because our roughing the passer call against Tom Brady was that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying Game that the face. people that, are people crazy. are freaking out about it right now, and there were some bad calls, or I would just say that they're controversial calls. But it's not like we're seeing way more roughing the passer calls, and that it's impacting more games or yeah, well, whatever than I they think, were even I last think... year. And nobody, I don't remember anybody talking about it much last year. And if it did, it blew yeah, up no. quick. Well, yeah, and 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 I do agree that it a, a large part of it is probably just because there's been so many contra- uh, controversial calls that happened in such a short period of time that were pretty game game changing or potentially game changing. Um, but yeah, I, I I I'm just I'm just interested to see if the the wrapping was a one-time thing where the ref thought it was excessive or something or if it's going to start to i mean because they didn't call it my home so i don't know if it's going to start a precedence or what but yeah i'd just be interested to see because that's kind of like leading up to the ref's discussion as well like 
there's not a set rule about that either, but it's still up to the ref's discretion. So yeah, well that's like that, that's controversial. Yeah, well that's why I think it's if you're going to a replay, it needs to be replays are only valuable or are most valuable when it's a rule that's concrete. Yeah, it's like black. And no, red. I, I no, I I agree with that, but. And I, I think I think I think they just need to revisit the rules and like just be more detailed and like more like and obviously it's going to be one of those things where they're not they can't make every <coughs> exception like it's just gonna, something's going to have to happen that's super controversial and they're like okay well if he's making a play on the ball he only needs to brace with one hand or, or something like that yeah. so there are going to have to be missed calls in order for things to be changed but just with them saying like there's not going to be any changes made like. That's that's where I'm like, they're, they're, well, like you don't need to completely rewrite everything, but there need to be like additions or something that isn't just like one blanket statement, and that is what roughing the passer is. Well, what I read was that they were going to look at it after the season, but they weren't going to make any changes in season, which I think is fine. okay. Yeah, well, as long as they're going to look at it. Yeah, I think I saw the, that that they were going to look at it. But but that they specifically said it was going to be after the season, and they weren't going to look at it during the season. Or they were, or they weren't going to make changes. Yeah, which I mean, I understand because like it's hard to make to have refs like change like little rules or actually potentially big rules like mid season. So it makes sense. But as long as, yeah, because the one that I read like the day after all that happened, like there's just like they're not going to be like changing anything like that. It is the way it is, and I was like. There's obviously a problem. Like, there's miscommunication, or refs aren't on the same page. So there needs to be a change. But if they're willing, if they're willing to look at it again and make some abridgments, then I'm cool with that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm just curious too, just to see how refs approach it, just because of all the scrutiny that's going on. If if they're less likely to call, I don't know. I just. I think it might end up being bad. <laughs> I mean, what if what if they go the other way and they stop protecting quarterbacks as much? I don't think that'll be. I don't think that'll be an issue, but I do think that they'll be like. No, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that they'll stop protecting quarterbacks. I think that they'll just like they won't. I mean, in my personal opinion, I feel like and I understand why, but I feel like. They protect quarterbacks, like I, I, I just think that these calls were protecting the quarterback too much. I understand why they call them, but I feel like that, like the big thing to me is like why two was that's the biggest thing to me is if it's really like to protect the quarterbacks, like why was two was not called? Like that was such like that was such an egregious like play. But anyways, we're we're talking way too much about the subject that's not even going on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean that's just a topic that's been going on, and I've just been curious yeah. to hear your thoughts. Um, and if I'm just glad David, I'm just glad, and they went this far, then they're curious too. So <laughs> I'm just glad Dad's not here, so then I wouldn't have to roast him in front of everyone because I know he'd say just <laughs> something to get on my nerves, and it would work. Well, he'll probably be one of the listeners, so. <laughs> Um. All right. So I guess just to to finalize or to, to wrap up the review, um, what do you think you've learned about the Chiefs through 
five games. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is like that they don't give up. Like even with all the young players on the field that haven't had the experience of, I mean, we do, we do still have a lot of veteran players that have been in situations like this before where we're at a deficit and we need to come back. But I think that it shows the mentality of the locker room and just the organization in general that like no matter how far you get down, the Chiefs are going to fight. Like they're never out of a game. And before when we said that, we say they're never out of out of a game because we had the potential to make those big plays with Tyree Kill, right? Like with 13 seconds down or 13 seconds left and we're down, like we still have a chance because we have that speed. But I think now that when, when people say like we're never out of a game, obviously having Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid is a great is a great help. But I think it's more of the mentality now of where we're never going to stop doing our best to to uh, to to take over the game. Yeah, well, that's the yeah, that's the mindset that you have to have, um, and I think that just comes from the the experience that obviously the veterans on the team have had going back to their you know to Mahomes' first AFC championship game, even though it was a loss to the Patriots, but the fact that they were one offsides away from the Super Bowl and then going back the the next year winning the Super Bowl, just like the success that they've had the challenges that they've overcome it. Yeah. It's awesome to see how rookies and even just players that, that sign can just automatically like acclimate into that culture. Um, and just kind of, yeah, can buy into it and believe it and execute it. That's I don't know. I think that's crazy. So, um, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess you just kind of reminded me of it, but it was just I've just been very impressed with like Veach. With Veach and Spagnolo's with Spagnolo as well. Just I've been very happy with the way Spags has run his defense. Um I like the aggressiveness. And that and it was what we expected and what definitely what I was um you know, well, just what we saw based on the draft that you know, maybe they didn't upgrade at pass rusher, you know, at least they didn't upgrade Clark <laughs> uh, the way that you would like to see. Um, but you knew that they were going to be faster and that they were going to start bringing pressure from the linebacker and secondary to make up for uh, maybe some of the changes that weren't made on the defensive line. Um, and just, but just to see how well it's been executed, how, Sneed has been has has fit into it and has been able to execute it so well. Um, the way Watson has come along as a rookie made that big play against the Chargers, um, but I, I just saw that he has <clears throat> out of all the cornerbacks with the minimum I think it was fifty target um, fifty sounds high. Um, I don't know there was a minimum amount of targets, but he has the lowest um, passer rating against out of all our defensive backs. Um, and it was like 75 or something like that. And everybody else that's, was over, everybody else was a hundred or higher, which isn't great. That's crazy because it, that's crazy because it feels like he's picked on a lot and he gives up a lot of plays. But at the same time, there have been plays where I've been really like impressed by him. And I think another thing that we forget to, that we forget is that like 
I mean, obviously he's a seventh rounder, but we don't even have McDuff- McDuffie right now. Like, and he's supposed to be like our, you know, our lockdown corner or you know one of those like utility men that can can do a lot of stuff on defense. And the, the fact that our defense is, I mean, obviously we'd like to see improvement. It's it's far from perfect, but like we're doing a lot of this stuff with people that were kind of just flyers in the draft and they're they're stepping up and, and doing a great job yeah and so and go, even going into the season like i didn't have high expectations at all for watson um and so you kind of just thought it was going to be hope you know hopefully mcduffie he's able to be a plug-and-play corner hopefully legerious need continues to um to grow and and evolve and it was just kind of like well fenton will be our third corner and hopefully he just will keep us afloat with his experience. Um, but, I mean, we've seen his limitations, and it's just great to see that Watson's come along, and and once McDuffie's back, it'll be Fenton back to four, and Watson can continue to develop with the reps that he's taking. McDuffie, he still has some catching up to do, I think. I mean, because he's missed out on four valuable weeks of of growth and experience, um, and luckily he's going to be back for this week's game against the Bills. Um, it's just going to be a tough, tough welcome back game for him, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I've just been impressed by the defense in general and the way Veach and Spags have been able to work together to, you know, to fill out this defense that has been such a liability through Mahomes' career. Um, into being so far the strength of the team um, through the first quarter of the season. Um, so that's just what I'm thinking right now. I want to see more consistency from the offense. And um, can't wait to get Bucker back. I think he's supposed to be back this week as well. So, um, But we'll talk about that in our preview show for the Chiefs-Bills game the Sunday afternoon game. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Uh, So stay tuned for that, for that episode. Uh, We'll be rolling that out very shortly as well. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, Staten, thank you for joining me. Um, I appreciate your insight. It was awesome. So thank you everybody. So signing up for Staten, I'm Kinlock and we'll talk to you guys later.